At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome into another edition of Monday Scramble. I'm Will Gray. Pleased to be joined by Golf Channel contributor, New York Times bestselling author, Fairways of Life host, uh, Matt Adams. Matt, thanks for coming in. We got a little one-on-one. I feel like this is like Charlie Rose and Tiger Woods right now. I know, except I'm usually sitting on the other side of the table. Exactly. So, uh, listen, you and I both know there is no actual off-season in the sport of golf. There are times at which you can catch your breath a little bit more than others, and this happens to be one of those times we're in the fall portion. The PGA Tour is getting off to a new season, but we have a chance now to kind of peel back the onion and look back at some of the bigger issue topics facing the game right now. We're looking today, in terms of state of the game, we want to focus on the golf industry. There's been a lot that has happened and transpired in 2016, some new players on the scene in golf equipment, some people saying goodbye to the golf equipment space. We have a Kushnet having their IPO just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So I want to start out just overall, give me a broad sense of where you feel the golf industry is at right now. The, the numbers for the golf industry across the board are better and getting better all the time. The, the, the dichotomy in the perception of golf versus the reality of golf really comes down to what happens with the media. In a, an it's election... Always our, it's always our fault. <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> as defined by the following. When it is an election year in particular, and, and given the fact that one of the two candidates in Donald Trump has deeply invested in the game of golf, the game has been, in terms of how it's perceived, been picked up by a lot of different media outlets that, and this is an area that, that for me and in my background, it's, it's frustrating because I didn't come from the journalism side, the media side of the game. I came from working professionally on the operations and equipment side of the game. And I see a a recurrent theme of cliches that get pulled up all the time. For example, I'll give you one. The fact that they say that, oh, uh, more golf courses are closing every year than opening. And whenever they say that, they don't go back and take a look at the courses that are reopening that have closed because that would net against it. And the other side of it is, as I always say from an operator's perspective, that that's not a correction in the golf industry. That's a correction in the housing industry because those courses were built by developers that wanted to sell lots and sell homes. They usually get to like an 80 percent uh, penetration value in terms of, of, of lot sales and home sales. Then they hand it over to the homeowner association and say, good luck, here's a golf course. And they go, uh, now what do we do? So those courses never were full. So the presumption being that when you take a piece of information without proper context and you say, oh, well, more courses are closing than opening, that's to presume at one time those courses were actually business entities that could sustain themselves, and they never were. So that 
that's just one piece of the information. The, the real reality is that golf, just like tennis, just like skiing, just like any other uh, really passion that you would have that you would, you would spend your hard-earned dollars on, it took a hit during the recession. So from roughly 2008 onward, and everyone looks at 2005 as being the peak of golf because they use it based on the National Golf Foundation numbers of there being 30 million golfers. I know it's another road to go down, <laughs> but A, the game is mismeasured if you measure the game solely based upon National Golf Foundation numbers of participation. That doesn't count people that go to, say, a top golf if you go and hit golf balls there. The Waste Management Phoenix Open had a half million souls at it. How many of those are registered as golfers by that definition? Maybe 5 to 10 percent of them. Yeah, I would say there, there's a vast majority. Having been to the Waste Management Phoenix Open, there's a vast majority of that crowd that I would not uh, qualify as golfers. Not by the traditional definition. Right. I look at it and say, well, how do you define the NFL, Major League Baseball, NASCAR? They're all defined by a fan base. Right. So golf allows itself to be measured by this figure that is now somewhere around 25, 26 million. And then that 25, 26 million gets compared to 149 million for the NFL, for example. And it's, it's absolutely apples and oranges, and it's an unfair comparison. But we're doing that to ourselves as a golf industry. That's something we have to address. I always feel like uh, there's, a, there's a causation issue with golf when you, you talk about the financial stuff. And you go back to 2008 because that was peak Tiger. And you have the economic factors that were macro and outside of the game of golf. And then you have the inside road that was that, that since 2008, Tiger's been on the decline. And so much of the growth was assigned the tiger leading up to that point. So now is it, it's tough to separate how much of that is the tiger effect, how much of that is the actual economic effect. I think we'll never know. But it's, it's just interesting that 2008 is such a fork in the road for, for a lot well, of Well, again, it came scary. crashing down because of a global recession. Right. And when the global recession hit, everything took its hit. And again, it was 2005 when it was really at its peak. I think when it comes to Tiger Woods on the business side of the game, and again, I was on that side of the game, mm -hmm. I'm watching all these trends. We did very well through that whole period uh, in terms of rounds played, and that was when Tiger was playing well and Tiger wasn't playing well. And it's it, they're when he really was playing. Oh, those days when he was playing. It, yeah, at times it's almost like two separate worlds between the professional touring world and the rest of the golf world. And again, people from outside the game come in and they bring these two worlds and they put them right on top of each other. And that's not always the case. That's that's yeah. not always fair in terms of what's really going on out there. So again, when you had a, a massive recession hit across the board, golf, if you look at golf's numbers and golf's recovery, last year rounds played, 2015, rounds played were up just almost 2%, so almost 2% growth over the prior year. We're trending ahead of that in 2016. We're like 2.7, 2.8% right now. Granted, that has something to do with weather as well, so when right. the people in the northern tier states can start to play golf. But much of that is also directly relatable to the fact that golf as a sport is getting stronger again. It's on the uptick. There's more kids playing than they were before. There's more women retained, which was an issue that we had in the game where women would start the game, but they wouldn't stay with it. There's more women retained in the game. And overall, there's just more rounds played and rounds in revenue are up. That's another piece of the golf world that people right. don't realize. Right. Golf is a direct economic impact in the United States of almost two billion dollars well or let me check that number 70 billion dollars well. almost 70 billion it's like uh, 68.9 somewhere in that range right so if you have a 70 billion dollar industry that employs over two million Americans 
you just can't brush this thing aside as being something that's just an enclave for, for the privileged. That, and given the fact that the average cost to play golf around the country is $26. Yeah. And everybody has this idea that it's so expensive to play the game of golf. $26 to, to go out and play 18 holes of golf, it's going to use up. I'd like to say three and a half hours of your time, that's but another, that's, that's another probably yeah, four, we'll four do that one on another day. Uh, <laughs> I do want to, if we're looking back on 2016, I think that the biggest uh, issue or the biggest storyline is going to be Nike and their decision to exit the golf equipment space. I am not an equipment nut. I'm not really into this area, but I am fascinated to watch how this story is going to unfold. We've seen Rory McIlroy come out with TaylorMade Woods in recent weeks. We've seen Brooks Kepka start to tinker with things. Tony Finau is one of those guys that said, I'm going to keep my Nike clubs for now. They're working. I kind of like it. We'll see where it goes. But I'm, I'm so fascinated to see where this goes and, and which direction these guys are pulled into. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be the first guy to have the, the bag with five different brands where you've got, you've got one set of woods, one set of irons, wedges, putter, the whole nine. Interesting. Just, yeah, just to see where this will go, I think it's an interesting wrinkle in the equipment space based on Nike's decision to leave the... The, the issue that you have where you're kind of, you know, trying to read the shadows in the wall of the cave with this whole thing is that when a player, say you're currently under contract with Nike for equipment and Nike says, we're getting out of this space, so free market, go do what you want to do. Is a player choosing a particular driver or a particular putter or irons or what have you because they feel it's the best, the best for their game, or is it because they hope to attract an equipment right. endorsement contract from them down the road? You would hope in the purity of the game that it's first and foremost they're going to go where they think they can get the best performance, but we don't know if that's always going to well, happen. I also think it's going to be a case-by-case -case basis. I don't think that Rory, take him as an example, is necessarily uh, hurting on the bank account, especially after the FedEx Cup win. I think he's going to be more pulled to be one of those guys that diversifies and says, listen, I want to maximize my game, I want to go at least for the next year or so and see what works best for my game and then reevaluate, whereas other guys who might be lower on the pecking order might be more interested in finding that next contract. It depends. As, as you probably already know and perhaps are even alluding to, there's already massive rumors in the industry about players coming together and being a part of purchasing groups for, right. for different companies. So, again, that's, that's another one of those areas where we really don't know if there's any merit behind those rumors. The, the things that we do know is that when Nike decided to exit the space, it was once again, as, as you know, where I was saying earlier, I think Tiger gets credit for things that he didn't do when he gets blamed for things that he didn't do, which I'm sure is, uh, is frustrating. Like any good coach, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> true, and, and well, especially for someone that defined the game for as long as he did during his, the height of his prowess. And a lot of people have said, well, geez, you know, you got Tiger on the mend, and when he's on the mend, Nike gets out of the equipment side of the business. And even that's a mischaracterization of, of reality because Nike never had more than 10% of the market share, ever. Even when Tiger was Tiger at his most Tiger-esque, they never had more than 10% of the market share. So it's so expensive to be in that end of the business, and it's such a narrow – see, what happens with, with – the business at the premium end of golf equipment is it's the 80-20 rule where 20% of that core demographic do 80% of the buying. So the pie is only so big and that pie really hasn't changed in terms of its size through even through the economic downturn because these are people with the dough to spend it the way they wanted to. And so if you're going to pick up market share, you have to take it from somebody else in order to do it. 
So Nike was never able to break in and really take that market share away, yet they had to invest in the oven down in Texas and all the technology that goes into building all this equipment and developing all this new technology, which is incredibly expensive. And they finally said, you know what? Where no one can touch us are shoes and apparel. That's where we're going to focus our concentration in the world of golf, where our strengths are. I think it was a sound business move. So the other aspect of that decision, as you alluded to there, is that now we see guys doing a la carte deals. Mm -hmm. Jason Day specifically is re-signed with TaylorMade for clubs, and he's going to Nike for footwear and apparel. I think yeah. if you go and ask an eight handicap on the street, what clubs does Jordan Spieth play, they're going to say Under Armour. And <laughs> That's funny. So what, uh, do you feel like the head-to-toe deal, like we saw Rory get into a couple years ago with Nike, is that going to become a thing of the past? Are we going to see more guys go a la carte and say, I want to play my clubs with these guys, and I want to do apparel and footwear with another company? Yes, and a quick answer to your question. You're definitely going to see that. It's not a question of, of maybe it might happen. It's definitely going to happen. But it's not only because the players are making decisions to go a la carte, as, as you're defining it, Will. It's because these companies don't have the same amount of dough that they had right. to, to spread around the way they used to before. What, what I think is really interesting about that, too, is that I, in fact, I did this the other day on my show where the conversation was about Rory playing that new driver, right? And I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then you've got Jason Day and Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy at the time, one, two, and three, all playing the same driver. Yep. And I said, does it, if you, if you were a fan, does that have an impact on you in terms of what you play? I think it might, yeah. Would it? Yeah, I think it might. So the answer that I got back from most people was at the point of purchase, it doesn't have an impact, but including those clubs in an array of clubs that they go out to test, it there does have an impact, yeah. which makes sense. That means that if you otherwise would not have company XYZ in the five, say, drivers that you're testing, now you you're go, well, if it's good enough for these guys, I might as well test it too. And from a manufacturer's perspective, what more could you ask for? Yeah. Now, you mentioned that these companies don't necessarily have as much cash to throw around as they did a few years ago. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, one company that does have plenty of cash is PXG. And they are making a splash in the equipment industry. They're saying, we have expensive clubs. They, we're not putting them on sale. Mm -hmm. They're going to be outside of the scope and the realm of what you're used to paying for when you're getting equipment. But they are going to be worth every penny. That is the Bob Parsons mantra. And We've seen success on the PGA Tour this year. They made a big splash with a lot of signings in, in January of 2016. We yep. saw James Hahn win. We've seen Ryan Moore win, get onto that Ryder Cup team, have a great year with PXG clubs. So where do you see PXG fitting into this whole equation? Now that Nike's coming out, there's a little bit of market share available. We're not really sure about the future of TaylorMade. Where does PXG fit in? They are such a niche product right now that they're, they're shaving off the very top. Remember that core that I was yep. talking about that – that 80-20, well, no, there are the tiny sliver at the very top of it where, where price is elastic, where it doesn't matter whether it's very high or not. And just like it would be in the highest earners in, in a tax bracket in the United States, for example, that's going to represent about a 1%. Right. Well, if they can capture the 1% of that core demographic, they've got a lot of dough coming in. Yep. 
Yeah. They're not going to sell a lot in terms of units. It's just because the, the if you will, the, the rest of the unwashed can't afford to, to spend that kind of money on a set of clubs. Now, the one thing I can tell you is that having looked into the technology of PXG, for those that can afford it, that are willing to go there, it is real technology that they've bring to, brought to four. It's a really cool, the irons in particular I looked at really closely. Mm -hmm. It's a forged shell with with a welded face on it, and then they put a, a uh, urethane on the inside so that it has a very re re reactive face because it's an extremely thin uh, face itself that, that gets welded. So all of that technology, and then you mill out from the inside all the weight that you can, and then they put it back in in those aluminum screws around yep. the outside. It really is an incredible iron in terms of the technology that they bring to four. And as you mentioned, well, there's a lot of players that it's working for as well. This is still not going to be a, a club or a company that a your run-of-the-mill, as you said, a run-of-the-mill consumer is going to be able to afford $5,000, whatever, for mm -hmm. a set of irons. So if we look at the masses, you know, the, we take the PGA Tour and the, and the professional game and put it to the side, if we're talking about the masses and where they play their $26 round of golf and the equipment they use to do so, we've seen some other developments on the retail side of things, Golfsmith, recently went into bankruptcy, has been purchased out of bankruptcy by Dick's Sporting Goods. Right. How do you see the retail aspect of things changing as we go into 2017 for, for the typical consumer in Springfield? It's good for the uh, typical consumer the way that I see it moving forward. You, you first have to know the, the, the evolution of the distribution of golf equipment to understand where it's going. Golf equipment originally started through green grass shops. In other words, back in the day, you would go to your pro and you would buy your equipment from your golf professional. In the late 1960s and in through the 1970s and in through the 80s, it shifted to what they call off-course retail. These were, say, a Nevada Bob's or an Edwin Watts or what have you. And then in the 90s and into the 2000s, it started to shift to what they call big box sporting goods stores. That's the Dick Sporting Goods, et cetera. When golf, again, just like every other sport, hit the skids during, during the Great Recession, then Dick's actually downsized their, the size of space that they were voting to golf. They got rid of 500 PGA professionals that had employed there. And again, all these alarms went off from people saying, what's going on? Where's the industry going? You've got the nation's largest sporting goods retailer, and have they lost their flavor for the game? Well, oh, by the way... Dick's happens to own Golf Galaxy, which is an off-course golf specialty store. They have 72 of them. When they picked up the assets of Golfsmith, Golfsmith had 109 stores mm -hmm. at their height, right? The word is on the streets that they're going to keep 30 of those shops. Now, generally, those decisions are made, A, were they profitable standalone business entities despite the problems with the corporate shell, and B, are they in markets where they otherwise may not have representation currently. So they're going to keep 30 of those stores open. They're going to liquidate the rest. They're going to keep approximately 500 of the Golfsmith employees. So what does this mean for the golf consumer, to get back to the original question? First of all, it's a sign that the nation's largest sporting goods retailer not only is back with golf at a big time, they are investing heavily in golf once again, and now their 72-chain store of golf-specific stores that they own, Golf Galaxy, are augmented by these 30 stores at, at least that they're going to keep from the golfsmiths that they picked up. So now we've got over 100 golf specialty shops all under the same ownership in the chain that are going to be very well stocked. Again, to the, an earlier point in terms of how golf is perceived and this idea of, well, you know, here you're a golfsmith and they file for bankruptcy and then they finally go into liquidation and they get 
purchased out of out of auction. Uh, a little auction. bit of a red flag for a consumer when you're reading that in the for a consumer. The, but right. what people need to realize is that that's a contrition for sins that happened a long time ago. Because Golf Smith has been struggling for years in trying to find their place. So there, the fact that what happened to Golf Smith wasn't an indication that things are so dire right now. It's an indication that they've had trouble for the last decade or more. So that's that's another thing. You the only way you would know that is if you if you were working on the inside of the industry. I want to loop back to, because uh, we can never go too far from Tiger Woods. We mentioned him earlier. Mm -hmm. And he is still dangling out there as one of those Nike free agents. We're not sure when he's going to come back. On the equipment side, on yeah. On the equipment side, yes. Yeah. So uh, we're not sure when he's going to come back. And when he does, we're not sure what clubs he's going to play. My question to you, does it matter? Does it make a difference? Does he, at, let's say, 41 years old, he'll be 41 in December, does he still have an impact on the equipment side in terms of his decision leading to the decisions of the PGA Tour? It comes down to this. When Nike went into the space to begin with, they went in, in my humble opinion, with the mentality of, I want to be like Mike. Yep. And if you love basketball and Michael Jordan's the greatest, then you want to wear the shoes that Michael Jordan has either his name associated with or he was wearing in competition. And it worked for, for a long stretch of time there. In it the did. early 2000s, that, that definitely, that model seemed to fit oh, it, with, Tiger and Tiger, with Tiger and Nike. Uh, I w it never worked with Tiger with, on the equipment side. And the reason being is that golf equipment is so particular to the individual now. It is so much about making sure that the equipment that you have is fit to your swing and to your game, to your budget. All these things that we've been touching on here. So who Tiger goes with in terms of his hard goods equipment, the mm -hmm. clubs that he plays, is it important to the marketplace? The first answer is yes. It's important to the marketplace. The se second answer is it's not as important as people may think it is because it doesn't mean that the masses are going to rush out and say, well, if Tiger's playing this club, yeah, I want to yeah. play this club as well. But it is important because he's, no matter where he goes, whenever he comes back, he's going to be the marquee player out there. And whatever club that he's playing, go back to that scenario of, say, you go into a golf shop and you want to buy a new set of irons, you're going to look at five or six different irons. Right. If Tiger's playing a company that maybe you don't know that well, you're going to include now it in that in mix now, now because you heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So we're, this, the year is winding down. The PGA Merchandise Show is going to be here before we know it here in Orlando. Always a big deal. So give me one storyline or one topic you're looking forward to in 2017 in the equipment space, in the golf industry? What's one storyline you got your eye on? Well, it, uh, it's hard for me to narrow it down to one. First That's of all... I asked the tough question. Yeah, indeed. First of all, the technology always fascinates me. I know I'm a bit of an equipment geek with all that stuff, but it is incredible to me that even even if people complain and say, geez, the, tech, the, the new products are coming out so fast, I just wait six months until they drop the price on it and jump in. And they say... Is that about marketing or is it about real technology? There was a period, I'll tell you, probably 15 years-ish ago, Will, where it was more about marketing than it was about real technology. Every driver that came out was going to give you 20 more yards. Well, if that was the case, we'd all be hitting it 800 yards. <laughs> but what's happening now is that they're starting to really nail down the MOI on the drivers in particular, MOI stands for moment of inertia, and it's about the oscillation of a club head and club face at the point of impact with the ball. And as they're getting better in, in, in they're doing this through shapes, they're doing this through weights, they're doing this through the materials that they're using, as they're getting better in stabilizing that impact between golf ball and golf club, and it's principally in the off-center hit, and most amateurs hit the 
the club face high on the toe or low on the heel and one of the it's kind of that access and so I, think about that now you can understand why it's going to wobble well as they can stabilize that the MOI you're going to hit more fairways as a result you're going to hit it farther because it's not offline that is an incredible technology I actually it, again I know I'm sounding like a complete geek in this stuff <laughs> But it is, it's really advanced, and it's so much so, it's more so than people think that it is. Because everyone chases distance, not realizing that oftentimes distance comes from the, the loss of distance comes from the wayward shot. So they're, they're starting to, to, to beef that up. Another area that's advancing, I told you I couldn't keep it to that's one. That's all right. I'll give you 1A, 1 Iron technology is really advancing very quickly. Again, there was a long period of time when Ping came out with the Ping I-2. That was probably the most innovative iron ever. It was that good. And for a good decade after that iron came out, maybe even longer than that, it was really hard to find an iron that was better. As new product was coming out through all those years, it was hard to find an iron that was better than that original. Now the technology that's coming out, we talked about it a little bit with the PXG yep. iron, for example. There's so many new irons with new technology inherent in them. Wilson has one called the C200 they came out with where they're using this combination of materials to maximize performance and much of the technology is coming down from the, the wood side of the game into the irons. In other words, launch angle, wider flange to help get the ball airborne, a thinner face so that it's more reactive to when the ball hits it, it fires it off it with more velocity. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about the technology in the irons as well. All I know is I should have taken more physics classes in high school, and I'm still holding out for that 800-yard drive. One day we're going to get there, and we'll each be hitting at 798 off the tee. All right, very quickly here, uh, still a busy week in golf, even though we are nearing the, the end of the calendar year. We've got the Shriners Hospitals for Children open in Las Vegas, the second leg of the Champions Tour playoffs, the Dominion Charity Classic. Uh, we've got the Toto Japan Classic for the LPGA, and, of course, the East Lake Cup on Golf Channel all week from East Lake site of the tour championship illinois oregon texas vandy for the men duke stanford ucla washington for the women and don't forget if you want to vote for your top 10 rounds of the year fan favorite time maddie you can do so on golfchannel.com until november 6th top 10 rounds are going to air in december so feel free to log on and make those votes it's a whole nother show isn't it that is an entirely another show i trust that we will have it in store in no time but there were plenty of good rounds this year to choose from matt adams thank you very much for joining us this has been great always good to do the deep dive with you and really get in Pleasure. to the nuts and bolts of the equipment industry and the state of the game so from matt adams i'm will gray this has been monday scramble keep it locked to golfchannel.com and we'll see you next time whatever job you need to do out there grab the right tool to get it done the new f-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.